They say talk is cheap, so let's add some value to your voice. It's Targeted Impressions with Scott Cody. Crisis management is something every business should have a plan for in hopes that they never have to implement it. But when the proverbial stuff does hit the fan, how should you intentionally communicate that plan to those who need to know? Our guest today found himself knee deep in a crisis, not of his own doing, but one that eventually he would take responsibility for fixing. And he just happens to be a friend of mine since we were in the third grade. We welcome to the show former CEO of Citizens Inc., headquartered in Austin, Texas, currently teaching a class at Northwestern's prestigious Kellogg School of Management, along with Texas A&M. Among other things, all of this while performing online searches for hair loss products, he's Jeff Colander. Jeff, what's up, man? <laughs> Man, you got my search history up. I didn't even know you had the capacity to do that. We're a, we're a, we're a full service marketing firm, Jeff. We can we can do a lot of stuff behind the scenes. I, I like it. Well, if you find that magic pill for hair loss, you tell me because I have been searching, uh, and I, that's why I will not go to our four, our thirtieth year reunion because I don't want to listen to your crap about my increasing forehead. Uh, as you like to say, but yeah, listen, I mean, and, you know, and, and so if you are if for, for marketing purposes, I don't want to overstate anything about my background. Of course, I, man, I'm honored to have time in the classroom at both uh, A&M's business school and Kellogg's business school. But, uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm a guest lecturer and no more. They, they can only have me every two or three times a semester and then they don't want me back in the door. So hopefully yes, well, that won't that, Yeah, that. That, that's a nickname I like. So you're you're a guy you got to take in small doses, but uh, that's right, that's right, that's right. <laughs> but hey, no, I, thanks for thanks for coming on, man. You, yeah, you man. honestly, when um when there was a, a time in my life where I had the opportunity to do something a little bit different, you had you even called me up and you're like, dude, you ought to think about podcasting. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know if you remember that conversation. So you have you kind of um ushered me, I guess, into this this phase. We're having a lot of fun with it. You're our our fifth guest, fourth guest. Um, but um. But really what, what's fascinating about your story um, and how it kind of aligns with what we want to accomplish with this podcast is uh, you, you were CEO of Fortune 500 company that was in some pretty deep trouble, right? And so I want you to take us through how, um, how you kind of got into that role. The, uh, you, there's a mentor-mentee relationship here that I think is worth exploring a little bit. Um, and then how you kind of what you learned and what you're taking from it uh, as we move forward. So Citizens Inc. insurance provider and and folks in Louisiana, this is not the citizens that is the insurance of last provider in Louisiana. Two two completely different companies. So don't get caught up on that. But talk me through. Tell me about Citizens. It's its founder. How you came into the uh, you know in, into his 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 realm, if you will, you know his world, and uh, and 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 then. Talk me through kind of when you uncovered what was kind of eventually going to be what's looking like your life's work fixing right now. Yeah, look, man, Scott, thanks for having me on. I mean, that says a lot about you. You know so much about me, and then you, you've got to keep me directed so that I don't make fun of you the whole time. So I'm, I'm that's going to be your greatest challenge. Yes. yes. Um, but that's the kind of stuff people would want to come back and hear, Scott. Really, they would care less about this. They'd probably want to hear what I know about you. But so I'll I'll, I'll answer your question. I'll stay on task. And look, citizens. So, so now a, I'll have you back for a second podcast. Essentially, <laughs> all about you. All about Scott. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Actually, that was a that was where I learned risk management was being your friend and uh, and and how to. <laughs> 
man, navigating middle school with you was risk management. It was like, yeah. that's what led me to law school, kind of defending you from the, the bullies on the playground and all that. Uh, hey, listen, I mean, all right. so Citizens is, is not a Fortune 500 company, uh, but it is certainly, uh, it was a New York Stock Exchange listed company that, that uh, hired me when I was 30 years old. So I was only five years out of law school and the founder hired me uh, after a meeting with him, when he asked that I'd come interview for an open position for their chief legal officer. And so he hired me in about 45 minutes after meeting him. And, and, and he was, uh, ended up being a, a tremendous mentor to me. And his, he was a remarkable man. His name was Harold Riley. And, uh, and he had, a, he had a vision for a company, uh, that would be a billion dollar life insurance company. Uh, and, and he wanted to trade it on the New York stock exchange. And I, and I caught him and when he was probably about 78 years old. And at that time, you know, um, I was quite younger. I was 30. And so he, um, he, he, he quickly took me under his wing. And within the, the first year of working with him, I was on the board of directors of that NYSE company and ringing uh, the, the closing bell on the New York Stock Exchange. And so, you know, our, our little world in, in Lubbock, Texas, uh, seemed really small to the entry into the, the public company space and New York Stock Exchange company. And so, I, I parlayed my legal background as a lawyer to grow as a become a New York lawyer and Colorado lawyer and and focused in on being a great chief legal officer for that company. Uh, but what ended up happening was the company had uh, some failures that were systemic, and it was discovered uh, while I'd, I'd probably been at the company for about um, probably eight or nine years, and it was discovered there was a major tax failure that went back to 1986, and so Scott. You know, in 1986, you and I were at Honey Elementary. Yeah. And so, so clearly, uh, when I got the knock on the door uh, for the CFO telling us about our tax failure, I had some failures of our own, that, of, 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 my, of the company's own doing that, that I discovered as well. And so we had a little arm wrestling match about whose failures were bigger, and, and she won, and, and ours were still pretty big. So it was really one of those events that, that in a company, you talk about uh, crisis, uh, we had an uh, unraveling of that company pretty quickly when we had to disclose this 30-year tax failure to our public shareholders. And we were uh, they stopped trading on the New York Stock Exchange on us the morning and we so disclosed stop, it. Stop right there because that that's a big deal, right? I mean, that's, that's huge. That, yeah, that's something that really starts shaking the the core of, of what a business can do. And it all of a sudden, it, you're, you're expecting it to show up one day on the ticker and it doesn't. I mean, so yeah, you yeah. can't really understate that. You can't, Scott. And that's uh, it's a terrible feeling to be the one on the phone uh, with the New York Stock Exchange when they're telling you they're going to uh, stop trading that morning. And so I was the at that point, I, I had earned uh, the, the position within the company of being the liaison with the company in the New York Stock Exchange. So all the regulation, regulatory issues, anything, even paying our bills with the New York Stock Exchange came through uh, the legal department and me. So uh, they called me that morning, Scott. I was walking into the boardroom with our statement as it relates to what we had discovered. And um, as I'm walking in, I have a, I have a call uh, and it's, it's from the New York Stock Exchange. I, I know the number. It comes up on my, my cell phone. And um, and the scary part, Scott, was that, you know, when, when I picked it up, I was used to hearing one voice on the other end of the phone. But after I counted the sixth person on that conference line that they had, they had called me from, um, and I knew we were, we were in a bad position uh, that morning. But it really, it really, it really started what what I call when I teach on, on this case uh, the parade of terribles. We uh, we were told, and I was told by our securities lawyers, get ready. This kind of disclosure 
and the things you're dealing with, the fact that there's this problem that's been sitting around for 30 years is going to catch the attention of the SEC and, and you'll likely be investigated. So it was sure enough it happened and they sent me a letter as the chief legal officer about nine months later and, uh, and it began a process of a three-year confidential non-public investigation. And, uh, and when we were going through that, a portion of that, I was chief legal officer still and then finally reached a point where the company's board of directors said, hey, we, we've got to change people and we've got to change our executive team and we've got to change within the board ourselves and we've got to change direction of the company. So, um, I, you know, Scott, the truth is I was the last man standing and I, I got put in the CEO position. So, well, but let's, well, don't, don't underscore that. And I, I know you're trying to be humble, but let's go back though, to when, when all this happened, the, the story of you sitting at the, at the kitchen table with Harold Riley and, and talk about that conversation and how that goes, which really set into place all this stuff that you just said. Yeah, the the the, the greatest gift I think that Providence gave me in in this the story of uh, walking through Citizens for close to over fifteen years was that um, I built a, a good rapport with uh, with Harold, and it was even you know whether it was friend or foe within the company. We obviously when you start. Uh, taking people out of the company for various reasons, they're, they're, they become a foe. They don't, they don't appreciate you. I've never had anybody I had to fire that thanked me um, or loves me for that. But, uh, but yeah, I certainly, I certainly have uh, the, those who are within the, even the family that were frustrated by the, the actions that I had to take in the roles I was in. But I will tell you, they would all acknowledge that the relationship that I had with Harold was real and it was meaningful. And for a good eight years, I spent lunches with him daily um, and saw him almost every day. And, and he was challenging with me. He was pressing into me and he was working to make me a better executive and prepare so, me to know his company. This is a company that, that's really tangled with, with family alliances, right? So if you think about the family reunions that you go to and how crazy that can be, imagine taking the, that dynamic and putting it into a publicly traded company. Wow, that's so well stated. You couldn't, you really can't say it better than, than it's like walking into a company and it's Thanksgiving Day every every day. Yeah, almost. And, right. Uh, yeah, I never, I'd never experienced that before. Uh, I, I had been at a family controlled, big dog food company that was, you know, eventually bought out by Nestle, but their dynamics really hadn't leaked into the company in the same way. What that was like is, as I say, what you said, like walking into a family di dining situation and, or family home and it has its own dynamics and years of it. So listen, at that point, I'm a 30-year-old young lawyer and they've been working together uh, for close to 30 years. And so, uh, you yeah, or, or close to that. So yeah, probably really close to that. And, um, and so as I stepped in, uh, one of the things that, I began to do was just try to follow a, a path of what what would a public company look like, not what would a family company look like, but what a public company would look like. And so my North Star was don't screw up and, you know, remember this is a public company and focus on it with that uh, regard. And the last thing I'll say about with Harold, and this will get to your question about the why am I talking to him at his table, was the very thing that you think will disqualify you in life uh, with people of power um, actually will qualify you. And in this instance, for me, that it was the fact that um, I early on had the opportunity to be truthful to him in ways that were real and, and expose things uh, that I saw right when I got there and uh, albeit tactfully, but, but not afraid to kind of speak truth to power. Uh, and it wasn't something he was used to. But what I found was it was something he deeply wanted. 
So that that ultimately led into a relationship of mentorship that, as you noted, uh, when the stuff hit the fan, um, he was in his 80s and he's at his house. He's not at the office every day. And uh, he opened the door for me uh, and his uh, and two other people to step into a room with him in his house, uh, one being his son and one being his wife, uh, to discuss the future state of his company that he had founded that's a public company on the New York Stock Exchange that now has a lot of trouble. That is one thing. If people know you, you've always kind of have, you know, spoke truth to power. And, and, and it, to your point, it puts you in this situation now. So, but my question is, so you set the path. How do you communicate it to these other uh, board members, the, the other C-level folks? Like what was your initial message to them uh, once to, to start steering this thing right? Man, I love that question. And I'm going to, I'm going to take it with a, with a particular bent because you know me as good as anybody that's in this planet. And um, uh, we grew up in a part of the country in West Texas where uh, it's a pretty candid up front, you know, you say it like you say what you think environment. And, uh, and, and usually that world that we grew up in, it works well to be transparent and candid with people. Uh, so maybe some of that's ingrained where we grew up, or maybe it's just a personality uh, defect or something with me. But uh, <laughs> when, when, I, when I saw the challenges ahead, I, uh, you're talking about communicating with the, the stakeholders internally, externally, but let's go with, let's start with your, you know, the founder of the company. <laughs> so, so go to the table conversation. Yeah. How do you yeah, communicate? How, how do you him? convince him? Yeah. yeah. How do you convince yeah, him? Yeah. That's convince is the right word because, uh, because when you're, when you're in your eighties and you've run everything and you, so this is a controlled public company. Um, it's a, it, it's straight on the New York stock exchange under the ticker symbol CIA and it no longer is controlled because of the work we did, but uh, but it was a controlled public company. So Citizens Inc. A shares, and he controlled the company through the B shares. And I'll get into the complexity of that. It doesn't matter. Just know that's a controlled yeah. public company. There's a yeah, lot there's of a lot, there's a lot of people we just lost when you said that right yeah. there. A shares. Yeah. Shares, and it, but that's, yeah, that's, <laughs> yeah. But, and, and I'll leave it at that. But I'll tell you what, you do know these companies. If you've ever drank Jack Daniels brand, if you ever drank a Jack Daniels, uh, you, you, that's a controlled public company under Brown and Foreman. If you ever stayed in the Hyatt, Hyatt's are a controlled public company. Estee Lauder's a controlled. New York Times is a controlled public company. So we're in that group of companies that had that kind of posture, that governance structure. And so I've got the ultimate control party sitting across the table from me who's in his 80s, who is a, is a really a fearless man. I would tell you, uh, you know, he was a guy that I would describe as being somewhere, he kind of a John Wayne, Ronald Reagan, great charisma, um, really brilliant mind, um, ardent. And at, uh, this point, and at this point when he's 80 years old, He's still sharp as a tack, or has there been some decline? He certainly knows what's going on, um, but he, but, but I can tell you this: is somebody who felt the the stewardship, Scott. I want, I want to be this to be heard. There's always like when you're in these when you're in these situations where there's a you know a crisis at hand. You, you know, the first thing you're trying to do is you assess what am I in this? Where am I? Where do I fit in this? But man, I had, I had, I certainly had a, a key role as a chief legal officer, but also at that point in time. Um, I had I had to steward his mentorship, and it wasn't lost on me. I mean, it was it was like this guy invested in me, and I cared about him. And so when I sat across the table from him, it was it was intended to to help him see that his best opportunity at that point. And the board believed this, and I was I was on I was coming on behalf of the board. I wasn't going on my own initiative. Uh, that it would be best for him to probably step aside for the first time as chairman of the board and the company he founded. So, I mean, look, you're talking about looking a guy in the eyes who's had absolute control 
absolute control over a New York Stock Exchange company that has a billion dollars in assets, $360 million market cap, and asking him to resign as chairman of his board and doing it because you think there's a lot of problems that are coming his way that aren't all there yet. They're not all there. You don't know. I, I've got an idea what's coming and they all happen and worse. But at that point in time, we didn't know everything. So how do you communicate that? It goes back to the pattern of transparency. My, con my context with him, my relationship with him had over years been developed around just being really transparent and very forthright. And so that began uh, the process at that point at that table of, the of what I'd call the turnaround was when we uh, walked away from that setting. And as his mentee, um, you know, I, I, I was a part of that, leading that, being in that conversation and, and, you know, certainly was leaning in on the relationships at the table um, to make sure that he was comfortable, that, that we had one plan in mind that was to protect what he had built. And we walked away with that with the clearance for him to no longer be chairman or CEO for the first time in the company's history. And I think that courageous act on his part um, allowed for us to begin to be very clear-minded about this is a company that needs change and it's gonna have to start at the board level. In the context of communicating in this crisis, the first point of communication, so we'll put this in kind of some sort of succinct order, was we had to, we had to start at the top. I mean, I can't, I, there's no way you can imagine, Scott, trying to communicate the complexity of this mega tax issue with a lot of scared employees who are your stakeholders or your shareholders, if the tone at the top, if you haven't started at the top and you don't have a clear path for communication through the top of the organization, meaning if we would have been trying to communicate our direction or change directions and you had a control party founder in his 80s uh, stepping in and out of power, throwing people in and out, off, throwing people on and off the bus and doing crazy things, we would have never been successful. We, in fact, I would have had to resign. And so we never faced that because Harold was courageous enough at that point to do the right thing. But you still needed to get some, you know, some dot and I's and cross and T folks in there as well. So, so you start this yeah, exactly. process now of, of finding, finding the, the, the guys that are actually going to get this stuff done. Um, how do you, Hey, Hey, I'd like you to come. I'd like quick. you to come work. I'd like for you to come work for us. By the way, we've got uh, three investigations going on: one from the right. IRS and one from the SEC. But come aboard. So, so how, right. does, how does the communication at that point go? As you're you're trying to find this and put together this team, I genuinely believe that in life there are people who look at obstacles as opportunities, and 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 or there are people who look at obstacles and just say we're screwed, and they just keep saying we're screwed, we're screwed. Or here's a here's the here's the playbook for that. And if it's not in the playbook, they don't know what to do. Well, there was no playbook for this. But what we did have, we had an opportunity because we were we were we had a board that was engaged to change. I would say engaged to change. And so as they started bringing in quality people, man, that little bit of opportunity and these quality looks allowed me to have uh, something in the company I could point to as a positive when I was recruiting talent. And yes, it was awful to recruit talent. It was so difficult. Yeah, because because two things are at play. It's a non-public investigation. So. It's not even public that we're under investigation with the SEC, but as soon as you tell any, we, we, had, we had to go find a new CFO in this process. So anytime you're doing something like that uh, in that CFO realm and you're under investigation, you, you're going to get opportunistic people that are trying to take advantage of you and have bad intentions. Uh, those are the ones that are going to talk to you. You're going to get completely unqualified people that go, I don't, I just, I just need to try to, I want a CFO job. I just want to yeah, have a title. Yeah, those three letters. Yeah. That's right. Yeah. That's right. That's right. 
And then maybe you might get somebody who has tremendous background and says, I'm ready for the next fight and battle of my life. And I will tell you that we did not bat a thousand. So you, Scott, you're, you're, you know, you were a baseball player, man. And, um, you know, I'll tell you what I told myself during that time period. I thought, and, you know, my dad, just shout out to Pops. You know, he was a baseball player at Texas yeah. Tech University. Shout out to your, your alma mater there, Scott. But he, you know, if you could bat 300, you were successful 30% of the time. Uh, in baseball, right? But but you're you're pretty successful baseball player. So I I just kind of said, you know what? There you go. <laughs> I'm, I'm gonna be a, <laughs> if I can bat 300, uh, you know, I'm gonna be okay with myself. If I go below the Mendoza line, then I'm in trouble. But you know, here's what the bottom line is: that we would lean in on the credibility of the board, and then on the other side of that, we really began. Uh, and, and this is really work that I did more as CEO. To, to, to go within the core of the company and uh, identify courageous, talented men and women who would look you in the eye, Scott. It's like playing sports, you know, and, and people look you in the eye and they're, they just look at you like, well, I believe. I believe. I want to be a part of this. And there are people looking you in the eye and they, they're scared as crap. They're like, I don't want this. I can go work at Google or Facebook or, you know, just some other shop accounting firm down the street. I don't want to deal with this. And, and, you know, that you could, you could sense it sometimes and you could see it in their faces. And so you know, within the organization, we were working to try to develop people that could help lift the, lift the, you know, lift the boats as well. And then when we brought in the talented people, um, we could recruit from them and recruit uh, talented people to surround these executives we needed to hire. And so it takes time. We had a lot of failures, Scott. There's no way I could make it sound, uh, I could go through all the details of it and make it sound simple. It's just not. Scott, it was powerful to see what happened within that company over a three, three and a half year period of time. Take us kind of to the end. You, you write the ship and then you kind of had to kind of like send your kid off to college. You just had to send them off and hope that, hope that they do the right thing. So take us through how you got to where you are now. Yeah, absolutely. Um, so, uh, the uh, the greatest challenge I thought look look at this we 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 did it like I like bottom line uh, we saw success uh, we we built around a mantra uh, that I, I I credit to a long drive one evening uh, before I was going to give a company wide speech um, and this phrase enduring value hit hit my ears and I began to think about it I thought you know what we're doing we're cultivating enduring value. Um, that means something when you just like long-term thinking. And so we're going to have to pay a price today to plant seeds for trees that will grow and we'll never see the shade. We'll never enjoy the shade or the fruit of which we'll never taste. And so I need, I need those kinds of thinkers. And I need, those, I need the people involved to understand that's, that's what you're a part of. You're probably not going to see the results or the fruit of your work, but you're going to have to sacrifice and give to something for somebody way down the road. Um, we changed the culture. Uh, we brought the right leaders, got the right leaders in the right seats. And we still had to work through things from time to time, but we generally had everything where we needed it to be. And then we saw success. And we saw success first on the regulatory front. We, we, we finished that SEC case, Scott, without being penalized. And it's a kind of a miracle in itself. And what the SEC told us on the way out the doors, they said that if there was a picture of transparency, you're it. And I'll tell you where my exit became uh, really clear to me was that as I saw, you know, us progress and have success, Scott, I'll make this real clean and simple for you. Um, 
I was tired and I was burned out. And the founder was gone. I had I felt like I'd been true to my word to him. And so my conversations with the board were, I will honor my contract and no more. And I wanted to be on that exit and not stay because I felt like the greatest thing I could do for my own personal psyche and my own you know, well-being mentally was not hold on to power. Um, I, I'll tell you, power is, you know, I was certainly not a CEO that wore, you know, black turtlenecks and people cheered for and you know, I gave big speeches that people <laughs> paid attention to. So that wasn't me. And I, I never wanted to aspire to be that. It was, let's get this job done. Let's do it right. And let's, let's, let's hand it over. And so through that process, um, I stepped out. And as a consequence of that, I, uh, I thought, well, what, what do you do now? And that's, that's why I uh, started a company, which will now, now when I say the name of, you'll go, okay, this makes sense. Um, I'm the founder and CEO of Enduring Value Partners. And uh, I specialize in leading turnaround efforts and implementing high impact corporate initiatives uh, across varied, varied in industries. And I'm leveraging that 15 plus years as an NYSC company C-level executive to execute change and innovation in companies. And it's, it's a lot of fun to take, you know, not only your education background, but, but some hard experiences and bring them into new companies. And then on the startup side or family controlled companies or companies that are pretty desperate uh, and to step in there and, and, to, and to believe that change can happen because I've seen it happen. When you bring the right people in the room and you do the right things and you get that North Star set, um, you can make a real difference. And, and ultimately, Scott, at the end of the day, I mean, these kinds of stories, when you're in these, when you're in these crises, you, you, it's, it's a tendency to step back and, and focus, oh, no, oh, what was me? But really, if you kind of go way down the road, what could be? What could be is that you could save jobs. What could be is that you could actually create a better environment for people to work in. And what will always be the case, will always be the case as a leader. You'll never do it perfectly. You'll never be able to execute everything the way you want it. You'll never be able to look back at game film and go, man, I crushed it. <laughs> I mean, I'm not telling you, there's no Tom Brady in me. No, I'm not Patrick but, Mahomes or but whatever. But with that said, but with that said, though, now in, in this new role that you've got, what what is the one or the or the two things that you know you could have done different that you could learn for that now you're able to to tell them, hey, don't don't step in that pile right there because I've already yeah. Done well said. Yeah, it is like a pile's right. Uh, I I I uh, was betrayed a lot uh, in that process with with some legacy people, and um, and and you know. Uh, I think part of my nature is like, like, well, like, okay, uh, I'll punch them in the face, you know, kind of not literally, but just, you know, I, I've had it, you know, this is, I'm tired of this. I'm tired of the betrayals. And you know, we, we would let them exit in a way that saved face for them and show, showed, showed that we were gracious and, and they would, you know, use that against us and say things that weren't full and, you know, weren't, weren't really telling what they'd done or what had gone on. So, um, it created in me a, uh, a lack of trust in, in people that, that it's sometimes I could, I, especially in hindsight, I can see it hurt me. And, uh, and then I found myself, you know, referencing back more than I should have as a leader, um, to, to kind of try stick a stake in them sometimes in meetings when I should have just moved on. I think the best thing you can do as a leader is when, even when it's personal and when it's kind of, when they, somebody's making things personal is to just rise way above it. I mean, and there are lots of occasions where I felt like I would, I did that well, but the times where I didn't, I felt like those were detrimental moments to me because communication is what we're talking about. 
Because when I'm communicating, what I'm doing in those situations where I'm allowing things to be personal, I'm communicating ineffectively. You're relinquishing what you can control at that point too. That's right. That's right. And so, yeah, yeah, that's it. What you want to do is you want to say, no, uh, this is what we're focused on. I don't want to bring in that fluff. It's just noise. It's white noise. And then I think one of my biggest takeaways, Scott, is right with the reason you you wanted to set this call up. And that is that, uh, man, I walked away going, I've got to be a more efficient communicator. I want want to own that space. I want to own that space. I want to be with brevity. Uh, direct conversations that are you know just clear and not bringing in noise and and personality, uh, but just but but sincere at the same time. And then I want to be a great listener. So I saw deficiencies in my work product in listening well and in being more uh, effective in communicating. So, you know, I, as I was like, I'm gonna I'm gonna I'm gonna crush that as I grow into the next phase of my my business career. Well, I think that's a perfect segue into kind of how I wanted to to close this is you talk about the efficient, efficient communicator. And I had an idea about two and a half years ago was I have, I, I am a, an intentional communicator with my friends. You and I talk on the weekends. I'll, I'll, I'll call my cousins. I, I, I do that at night a lot. And I thought, you know what though, what if be, I'm just having these conversations though with with you. We're just catching up like old friends, right? Like, and, and there's nothing wrong with that. But man, there's a there's a resource out there that I'm not really tapping into professionally. And so I wanted to have. I started calling them. I'll be 15 minutes late to the, my next meeting, and it was once a month, 15 minutes, sitting down with the folks that I communicate with all the time on a personal level, but really making it a, a little bit more professional. And you were one of the ones that took took me up on it. And so it's the second Tuesday of every month at one o'clock, you and I jump on the phone call, regardless of what we're doing. And we talk for 15 minutes and I, I've gotten a lot of that. I hope that, that you have as well. And, but that was an intentional part to make sure that I'm not just finding out about how your family's doing. We're talking about books that we're reading. We're talking about different ways mm-hmm. that we can, we can attack things. And, and I, I wanted to thank you for jumping into that. And, and, I, and, and, and hopefully there's some other people will listen to this and be like, that's a damn good idea. And, and I wanted to get your thoughts on how, how you thought that it's that conversation has evolved, you know, over the, the two years now we've been doing it. Well, I love it. And I, I think, you know, your listeners, I need to be completely honest with them about this. But when you sent me the email or the text, you texted me asking me for the call. You said, hey, I'd like to have one, on your schedule once a month for 15 minutes. And I said, do I have a say in this? You know, right. I mean, do, do I have to do this? Do I have to? Do I have to give you 15 minutes of my time once a month? So let's, let's first of all, let's acknowledge that was a tremendous sacrifice for me. <laughs> so, I think, so it's a tremendous sacrifice for me to be willing to talk to you for 15 minutes once a month. And so and, I, I want to make sure and, that's clear. I want to pause on that. And you are, you are not that. alone. Yeah, you are not alone. There, there are other people <laughs> 15, that certainly feel trapped. The longest 15 minutes of my yeah. life. Or been those, no, that's a fantastic idea. And, and to be clear, it was, it was awesome to, the, to try to bring in the regular cadence. But I... Um, but yeah, you know, the, the, look, uh, the, this is, this is probably the number one thing about the kind of communicating precisely is that situational awareness you were telling me and that it's going to be 15 minutes, right? So, so I knew that when we got on those calls, we couldn't have the same kind of conversations when we're just picking up the phone on the weekend and we're catching each other while you're at your camp and yeah. you're fishing and we're just shooting the bull. Um, you know, they're going to be pretty quick. And so we're trying to get information from each other fast, but we've got relationships. So we didn't have to 
we, we, but it would be detrimental to our relationship if we all of a sudden said, let's sacrifice having those off the cuff calls from time to time and replace it with these 50 minute, 15 minute calls. Exactly. And so the con, great, yeah, great that, point there. yeah. So in the context of what you established, I think it's a, it's a great idea for, I think on, 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 a, on in, uh, in the context of gaining knowledge and with people that, that, you know, are, are busy people that you want to have very directional conversations about business, politics, religion, uh, you know, it, you know, subject matter oriented, like, Hey, we're, let's take 15 minutes this week. Let's just cover this, or I need to understand this better. And I, I think it lends itself to, to that kind of precision as opposed to the, the more fun relational calls that we could have from time to time. Yeah. And like you said, we still have those, but I, I truly think that it's, it's broadened. Uh, we, we started sharing books that we, we like to read right. back and forth, you know, and things like that. So, um, I, I think that it's, uh, I, I've tried looking, like I said, you were the only guy that, uh, that really responded to the text. So I'll say thank you to that. <laughs> but, oh, <man. laughs> so. You never told me that sucker. There you go. What a there sucker. Yeah. And sinker, man. That's right. Dude. That's like, <laughs> yeah, I think I'm, and I'm the only one continuing to have that on my calendar, huh? That's the yeah. way this works. Huh? Yeah, but I'm, 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 I'm anticipating <laughs> that uh, that cancellation uh, come through now anytime. But yeah, uh, well, well, man, yeah. look, you, uh, it's a we gave this a lot of time today, and we could have. I mean, you're literally teaching classes about this case with regards to citizens and your role in turning it around. There's a lot more to to unfold with it. And I, I appreciate you being, um, you know, kind of to the point to uh, have some brevity with it, but. It is a complicated process and it should not go without saying the work that you did. And, and, you know, Citizens is now still continuing to, to operate because of, you know, some of the, some of the dirty work that you had to do. So, um, so I, I appreciate you jumping on and, and kind of taking a very complex matter and, and distilling it down for us. But, um, you know, but, but before we leave, I'd be remiss though, to, to not talk about, uh, the, the role that, that politics in high school played into what you're doing now with regards to navigating, uh, you know, making sure that you were, you, you run for student council president and, and the support that, that a guy like me gave you, uh, you know, in, in setting you up to success now, I just want you to kind of talk to that <laughs> a little bit. <laughs> hey, listen, I mean, all I remember is that, that it was the great lesson from what high school uh, leadership roles were is that you're nothing without, uh, a strong, a strong wingman. And, uh, and, and that was you, right? So every time I was in one of those roles, I believe you were probably the vice president and we didn't care about titles, but you know, we had, we had constituents that were in our ears. I mean, we were, we, you know, we had hard, we had hard subjects like making the senior shirt and being told by all the girls, uh, uh, that all, all the girls our senior year that, that, that our shirt sucked and that, that our, you know, their shirt said, class of 1994 and on the back of it said you will work for us one day and so we thought that was cool we thought that had the right bravado but the girls hated it and uh, and we were we were told that no one was going to buy them and we had you know we had to learn because our, our our mentor colonel air force colonel told us he said i don't care if we have to turn those shirts into wash rags we're going to sell them and we're going to we're going to we're going to we're not changing what you put together because they're done so we right, went they were done. We, yes. That's right. And yeah, we sold done. them all out. Yeah. I remember this. We sold they them all hit. out. We just sold them all out. And you know what? Our our buddies 
on the football and the baseball team and band and all the guys that we hung out with and and a lot of a lot of great good looking girls and people we liked they all bought the shirts and people wore them and they loved them but we had to stand up together so you and i well we we had those kinds of battles and i think that's what prepared me for as leaders like you can't make it in this business of leadership if you don't have something somebody great next to you and and that's all i really learned from that that's all i can add and I, 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 and in fact you know the speeches i gave were so terrible about roaches and and surviving nuclear holocaust and those kinds of things i'm surprised i ever got elected in the first place well, look, and I, I, I believe I wrote a speech about Miracle Whip one time. So, um, yeah. <laughs> what what we did for a laugh? Yes, exactly. what we did for a laugh on a podium to get elected to a position. So, well, man, this this was fun. Yeah. We're 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 under an hour here, so let's let's try to leave it at that. And I, I, we could obviously go and talk a lot more about a lot more stuff, but um, I, I appreciate you coming on and talking about some things. Obviously, that means a lot to you. Some some difficult things that you had to go through, but you were honest and upfront with it. So I I appreciate that man and uh you know not to get too sappy but it's it is cool to have someone that you've known for so long i think the really reason the the, the reason that we kind of hit it off as as quickly as we did when we were younger we were both we were the only two guys on the rangers southwest little league team that had jeans instead of baseball <laughs> pants um for the for the pictures uh you know that was, i think that was a bonding moment for both of us um, yeah but that's right i think I that probably that speaks well. that, that speaks to the the frugality of of our upbringing that's right well, probably that's but, right hey man uh, this Sorry, is man. this has been fun uh and we'll try yeah. to get you on again when you when you go I save another it. company honor honor love it <laughs> all right Thanks, man, look yeah Hey, 3131 Media Solutions brings you targeted impressions. We appreciate you listening. And if you like what you heard, um, like it, leave a message, leave a comment, give us five stars. And um, Jeff, tell them real quick if they want to learn more about Enduring uh, enduring Value Partners. Did I say that right? Enduring Value Partners. That's right. Where, where can they and learn That's more? the website. That's the website. EnduringValuePartners.com. That's the website. There you go. Yeah, find it. Yeah. Thanks, right, guys. guys. Until next time. Take care. Got a little